0: Amen, and Lord, please bless us as we open your word together today. Enrich us with heavenly wisdom and comfort our hearts as they grieve. In Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of this past summer, uh, Sarah and I led a trip to Israel. We took 26 people with us, about half of them from this congregation. We were due to fly out of the U.S. on Monday, June 6th. And when we woke up on the Friday before, on June 3rd, two of the members of our group did not yet have their passports. Uh, This was a problem that we had seen coming. (coughs) Passports, as you know, are quite important for international travel. Uh, And we had reminded all our travelers how important they were. We checked in with them repeatedly months ahead of time and nagged them and badgered them so that everybody filed their passport renewal applications in plenty of time. There shouldn't have been any problems but we knew there would be problems. Uh, We started up the prayers about a month out when two passports were mysteriously late. We upped the prayer urgency at around the two week mark. And about that point I realized, okay Jesus, these are coming on the very last day, aren't they? Does it have to be the last day? Does it always have to be the last day? Would it not be kinder to my blood pressure to have them come like even maybe a week ahead of time? No, it was the last day. The very last business day before we traveled, we got the final two passports. And of course, there was great rejoicing. And yes, I guess the whole experience bonded our group even before we started our trip together. But still, I gotta confess, And I'm not proud of feeling this way. I sometimes really don't like the way Jesus does things. I honestly really don't like it. Lord, you really could make this a whole lot easier. Does it always have to be the hard way? And I picked a very trivial example to start us off today. I wanted to ease us into this subject gently. But I could multiply stories a 100 times over, and I know you could too. Most of them are much more serious than two missing passports. We have often seen tragedy coming. We have prayed for the people we love, and we've watched our God do apparently nothing, or done too little too late to save the life, to save the marriage, to spare the children from trauma, to prevent the suicide, to grant our family members saving faith before they die. We have seen tragedies coming a long way off. We have prayed, and we have not been answered. You have asked, and I have asked, why, Lord? And you're sitting here this morning in church, probably because you've managed to come up with some sort of comforting and reasonable answer to that question. I have things to say to it, and I expect you do too. But before we rush to a consoling answer that may or may not be totally on the mark, I really want to sit for a while today in this particular pain. Today I I tormented you with two half-stories of resurrection. You probably felt when Dana sat down from the second Kings story about the Shunammite woman. Ah, can we not have the end of the story? Can we not have the happy part? And similarly with John chapter 11, with the, the death of Lazarus. Um, But I'm glad that I only have the first half of John chapter 11 to preach on this morning. Just the sad part, just the confusing part, because I'm sure at the time it seemed to last forever. I'm just going to preach about the part before Jesus breaks in with power to fix it and make his plan clear. I'm going to sit with you in the pain for a week. Because the reality of our lives is that they're mostly lived right here, aren't they? Waiting for rescue, waiting for answers. Most of our lives are lived stuck in those two extra days Mary and Martha had to wait in agonizing pain. So what are we going to learn from the way Jesus handled the situation with Lazarus? Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 11, page 897. And let's walk through this story again together. It begins in verse 1, page 897, John chapter 11. First one, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's the setup to the story. Uh, and this is the first time in the whole Bible that we uh, get to meet Lazarus, get to hear about him. Uh, we learn that he was Jesus' good friend. Uh, we have met his sisters already before, Mary and Martha. We've met them in Luke chapter 10, when we remember Martha was distracted with much serving while Mary sat with uh, Jesus' disciples at uh, Jesus' feet, and she was praised for choosing the better portion. So that's this family. Um, the whole family, we, we learn, loved Jesus. They trusted him. They were full of confidence that he was the true Messiah. And John begins the story in chapter 11 by identifying Mary as the one who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped uh, his feet with her hair. In John's chronology of his gospel, that hasn't happened yet. We're going to hear about it in the very next chapter, in chapter 12. The anointing uh, of Mary happens in response to what Jesus did in raising Lazarus. But John headlines the story in chapter 11 by introducing Mary this way. And I think that's probably because Mary was famous around the church in the time John wrote his gospel for her act of love and worship. Maybe Mary was viewed as a kind of capital S, saint, Um, And here in chapter 11, John is pulling out a story from her dark days. Uh, The headline invites us to watch Mary in particular in what's about to unfold. So Lazarus fell ill and the sisters sent to Jesus with a simple report, Lord, he whom you love is ill. We notice there's no request here. They're not bossing Jesus around in any way or telling him what he should do. Uh, The message is respectful. It implies a call for help. But it also implies that Jesus is the best judge of what to do. They leave the job in his hands. Continuing in verse 4, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And this, I think, was primarily a message back to the sisters, not primarily for the hearing of the disciples. The messenger who brought the news was sent back speedily with the words, this illness does not lead to death. So with everything else that was confusing, the sisters did at least have the message that Jesus had received them loud and clear and was on the case. Then Jesus got to work immediately by waiting around for two days. Verse five says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That verse is the crux of our lesson for today. We're going to give the rest of our time to trying to understand that verse. That word so, at the beginning of verse 6, is the Greek word un, which is a word of positive logical connection. It's most commonly translated, therefore, so, accordingly. It's not negative. The NIV translation says, yet he waited. And I believe that's misleading. Jesus' love caused him to wait. He did not wait despite his love. And that's the part we most need to wrestle with this morning. But first, let's continue in the story. Jesus waited for two days, during which time Lazarus died from the illness. The illness that Jesus had promised did not lead to death, led to death. Then Jesus wanted to go back to Judea, back into the danger zone, after it was too late. And his disciples tried to talk him out of it. In verse 8, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? But Thomas takes leadership in verse 16 and gets them all on board. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. All my life, when I've read this story, I've thought that Thomas meant let us die along with Lazarus, like it was some melodramatic expression of grief. But that, I think, does Thomas a huge disservice because Jewish belief and ritual knew nothing of suicide and mourning for a friend. Uh, Instead, Thomas means let us go die with Jesus. He's sure the Pharisees mean to arrest and kill Jesus. So this is an expression of courage and loyalty to his Lord. Thomas says to the other disciples, look guys, we're better off following Jesus to our deaths than staying here safely without him. And that, I think, is true discipleship. That's leadership worth following. So they all end up going, and actually Jesus has told them it's perfectly safe. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? Look at the clock. There's still daylight left, a little time before night falls, and he's going to be taken away from them. And indeed, this excursion does turn out to be safe. So we pick up the story in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him but Mary remained seated in the house. So Jesus waited for two days, but by the time he arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. So factoring in the travel time, he couldn't have made it on time anyway. We should add that consideration into our wrestlings with his decision to wait. The Jewish leaders from Jerusalem, what John calls the Jews, are visiting the family to offer condolences, and that, of course, made the situation dangerous for Jesus. That's a factor, too. As he drew near to town, word ran ahead of him that he was coming, and Martha got up to meet him, but Mary stayed put. And we should ask, why didn't Mary go to? Why did she remain seated in her house and not go with her sister? And as I've weighed the options, I think surely this speaks to a crushed spirit. Some combination of grief, despair, and anger have made Jesus someone she doesn't want to see right now. Four days ago, great, yes please. Today, no thank you. We catch a glimpse of Mary's bitterness of soul if we glance ahead to verse 32 where she weeps before Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So here's a great and maybe famous saint stuck somewhere between lament and accusation. This is territory I myself know well, and I expect you've probably been here too. If you've spent some years following Jesus, he tends to lead us here to situations that are dark and confusing where we wonder, where are you, Lord? What is your plan here? Where are your promises now? And how long, oh Lord? The other sister, Martha, does have the boldness to go and meet Jesus on the road. Her opening words to him in verse 21, as Lee pointed out, are exactly the same as Mary's. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it is kind of an accusation, but it's also a kind of faith, belief in what Jesus could have done. And Martha adds a second layer of faith when she continues, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So there's a good deal of faith going on here, but Martha still hasn't quite gotten it. So Jesus offers her something even more to believe in verse 25. He says... I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha replies in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is pretty awesome faith. Notice she says not just Christ, the long-awaited king on the throne of David, she also says son of God. Martha says she believes it. But Jesus still has to show her what that means a little bit later when she commands the tomb to be opened in verse 39 because Martha initially resists him saying, there will be an odor, Lord. Um, So we see Martha in the process of coming to new layers of understanding about Jesus in this chapter. But I'm going to leave the rest of that for Peter to talk about next week when we study the resurrection part of the story. For today, I want to come back to our key question, why did Jesus wait? Verse 6, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why? Let's try to list out all the possibilities, starting with the least likely, that maybe he had something else he needed to do first. There's no indication at all in the text that that was the case. He wasn't busy. He was just waiting. So then maybe he was avoiding a confrontation with the Jerusalem authorities who wanted to kill him. This again is denied by the text. After all, he went in the end without hesitation and he taught his disciples that it was still daytime. His time had not yet come. What difference did two days make? We're told that Jesus knew exactly what was going on with Lazarus the whole time. He knew the exact moment he would die before it happened. We're also told that Jesus had a special love for this family. They got his full attention when they were in trouble. He was not uncaring. Nor unaware, nor distracting. So, what then? What other reasons are left? Jesus sat around and waited two whole days in the midst of the crisis. Why? Perhaps he did it in order to craft a more perfect miracle, as a clear sign of who he was. This idea has some merit. He does say to the disciples, I'm glad for your sake, because it reveals the glory of God. So this works this way. In Jewish thought, a person wasn't truly dead until he was dead for three days. At that point, the soul left the body for good. And before that, there was at least some chance of resuscitation. So the two-day wait gave Jesus the chance to arrive and raise Lazarus after he was really dead and all other hope was truly lost. So it made for a more impressive, therefore more meaningful miracle, a bigger reveal, I am the resurrection and the life, not just healing, not just resuscitation. And this gave the blessing of profound revelation to Mary and Martha, which was a pretty good way of loving them. Maybe. I think that all of those things are true, and they're good thoughts, and in God's wisdom they probably did factor into his decision, but I still feel like we haven't quite grasped the whole of it. Seems to me like there's still more in that little word, so, than that. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. If he had wanted to wait until four days before raising Lazarus, could he not at least have gone straight away and spent the extra two days with them, comforting them with his presence? Those two days would have been agonizing for Martha and Mary, the worst days of their lives. The rest of the family had come to grieve with them. The Pharisees from Jerusalem had come to offer condolences and prayers. The whole world was gathered in Bethany to mourn. Except Jesus. Except for their friend Jesus. The messengers had come back without him. Where was Jesus? His decision for sure greatly increased their sorrow and confusion and pain. They would justly have felt abandoned and betrayed for two long days. And Jesus, of course, knew that too. While he waited around, he knew they were missing him. He knew they were longing for him. I imagine it was a deep grief for him to wait and not be there with them, but he did it because he loved them. In other places where it says that people act for the sake of love, it usually means doing something that we don't in our flesh want to do, right? If I love my wife by taking out the garbage, you understand that I have no physical pleasure in the act of taking out garbage. And when we say uh, that Jesus, for the love that was in him, went to the cross, we understand that the cross was the last place that he wanted to be, except that we needed him there, and he loved us. And here in John 11, Jesus loved Mary and Martha by waiting. He wouldn't then have chosen to wait, except that they needed him to, Somehow they needed those extra two days without him. And here I think we start to touch on the deep mystery of why Jesus does things the way he does. Why he waits to heal when we ask him to heal and why he often seems absent when we're suffering. In this case, I think he let the pain linger because it was doing something that needed to be done. And I think the Chinese evangelist Watchman Nee tells us what that is. Watchman Nee was a man who was faithful to Jesus, well acquainted with grief. He spent the last 20 years of his life in prison for preaching the gospel. And he wrote a small book called The Breaking of the Outer Man and the Release of the Spirit. It's a powerful little book. The text is free online. I recommend you look it up. Watchman Nee argues that we often pray and expect Jesus to do this or this or this work in the world, when what he most wants to do is to break the outer man. The outer man is our flesh, our selfish ego, with all its cowardice and self-indulgence and demands to be comforted, demands which constantly tug against the work that God wants to do in us. They tug against the spirit of God in us. And Jesus wants to break the outer man to crucify the outer man and so release the inner man into true freedom and joy. It's a hard word, but it's a good one. That process hurts. It's a kind of surgery. It's not pleasant at the time, but painful. It it cuts deep and it lasts long, but it produces in the end a harvest of righteousness and joy and peace that we can have in no other way. Our Lord Jesus is a good Lord, and he knows what he's doing. The story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus should reassure us even more on that point that Jesus is in control, and he knows what he's doing. I don't share this as a complete answer to all suffering. That's a much bigger subject than I could handle in one sermon. But I do think this is an important piece that we need to understand. I think this story was a unique event, but I also see in it a pattern of Christian discipleship. Number one, we know our Lord loves us, each one of us, just as he loved Mary and Martha. Number two, we know him. We've walked with him a long time now. We've learned to trust him even when his decisions seem confusing. And number three, we have his great and precious promises, just as they did, especially the promise in verse four, this illness does not lead to death. In the same way that Lazarus died temporarily, but now lives eternally, so in the same way for each one of us, the thing that is killing us will not lead to death. Your illness will not lead to death. Your depression will not lead to death. Your bankruptcy will not lead to death. Your persecution will not lead to death. Lean on it. Believe it. Jesus says it. And however many people laugh at him, he will be proved right. Number four, Jesus has taken on our case. He has signed on as our doctor to make us well. When you go to the doctor, does he fuss about why you're in such a sorry state? Or does he take personal responsibility for the task of making you better, whatever that takes? Do we trust that our Lord Jesus knows how to make us better and is able to accomplish that which he set out to do with or without our cooperation? Martha, out of the ashes of her grief, was reborn as a zealous believer, and Mary, freed from the bitterness of her soul, wiped Jesus' feet with her own hair. Jesus can and will free our hearts. He can and will destroy the outer man we must and will trust him to do so. Along the journey, we have also numbers five and six that Mary and Martha maybe didn't have. Number five, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, the comforter who eases our pain. And number six, we have the joy of knowing Jesus in fullness now. His salvation plan, his present mission, his promise to return and conquer. We don't yet know, as we will know, but we know much more than they knew. Though there is confusion and we do face dark days, they are yet lit for the believer by the lights of comfort and joy. So that even if we live in the midst of those two dark days for two months or two years or two decades, they will not conquer us. They will not vanquish our hearts We, in Jesus' name, will keep our song of praise alive in the darkness and be still singing when the clouds part and the dark days are over forever and we are through and we have won. Amen.